Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If we're handing out a Bible to you and you get the hardback, turn to page 885. 885. If you're on a uh, digital Bible, type in John 5. Or if you have a real Bible, turn to John 5. Yeah, that was my little dig. That was my little dig. John chapter 5. If you were with us last week, you know that today is part two of a five-part series through, I'm sorry, six-part series through John chapter 5. To catch you up to speed. The gospel starts off with this prologue where John, who's writing, perhaps he's 90 years old when he writes this, he wants the generations behind him to know that Jesus Christ was the promised Jewish Messiah. And so he is setting out to tell whoever ends up reading that, to tell them that. Um, Lots of seats up in here, guys, and over here. Plenty of seats. Um, Last week, as we get into John 5, we're getting into... Theologians call it a discourse. I guess English majors would call it a discourse. This chapter has lots and lots of Jesus talking for a big, long period. Last week, we heard about a man who for 38 years could not walk, and Jesus comes and heals him. And instead of being able to celebrate that God had just mercifully healed somebody, the religious elite throw a hissy fit. How on earth could he do that on the Sabbath, the Jewish holy day that happens each week, He's breaking the law by carrying his mat on the side. They can't just be excited that he's able to walk. And we agreed that was crazy. Say yes. Okay. But we're not going to judge the Pharisees. We do the same thing all the time. We get all antsy about our rules. I grew up as a Baptist in the 80s. So if you saw a rated R film, you were going straight to hell. (laughs) Anybody else? That was was just right. Straight to hell. And everyone was really confused when the Passion of the Christ came out. It was rated R. Now what do we do? Are we even Baptists anymore? Maybe we'll get Presbyterian and we can drink wine finally. You know, like, what are we going to do? Every generation, every people group, we have this tendency inside our heart to get overly religious about the minutia of rules. But Jesus' pushback against the Pharisees was, hey, you guys will tithe on the mint that grows in your garden, your herbs, you'll tithe on that, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy. His whole point wasn't to criticize the tithe. He's just saying, if you go after the heart of God, the big things like justice and mercy, the small details of the law will work themselves out. Or another way of saying it in this context, if you went after the weightier matters of the law, you really desired to honor your Father in heaven, you would not be all poindexter rule follower about this man being healed. You'd be able to celebrate with God. Amen. And you can't celebrate right with God right now. Your heart has been disallowed to just get all the joy that was waiting for you. Yeah. That joy has been crushed because you're bogged down in rules. So now today and the next three sermons, these are four sermons in a row on something big and long that Jesus says about primarily himself. If you have your notes... Oh, by the way, did everybody get notes that wanted notes? Um, We have those at the info table up front, right next to the caramel, incidentally. (laughs) 
That doesn't happen every week. So if you've got notes, you know the title of this sermon is Jesus Works on Sundays. Are my Leatherbees people with me? You know what it's like. We work on Sundays. The religious elite are getting upset at Jesus for working on Sunday. They're getting upset at Jesus for commanding a man who is healed to carry his mat on Sunday instead of being excited that he can carry a mat. And his response, as we're about to see in the text, is not getting down into the religious details and teaching them what the Bible actually, what he was trying to get to about Sabbath. His response is much more flabbergasting than that. He says, my father is always working. Seven days a week. And in the next breath, and so am I. That means Sabbath was created for mere mortals like you and me. We can't work seven days a week. We're going to die. We need rest. He drops the bomb on them. You think I'm breaking a rule, and I could talk to you about the fact that I'm the one who wrote the rules. Those of you who read or saw the lion, the witch, in the wardrobe. After Aslan and the white witch make a deal, they've made a bargain for how Aslan is going to sacrifice himself to purchase back one of his sons, a rebellious son. And the witch says to him, the deep magic says, and he roars and he cuts her off and says, don't cite the deep magic witch to me. I was there when it was written. Jesus right now could say, excuse me, don't talk to me about the law. I wrote it. Mm. Or those of you who love Judge Dredd, 1996, I am the law. Okay, <laughs> He could have said that. I am, the, I am everything that God has ever said. That's what the logos is. John 1. I am everything God has ever said to humanity. Don't tell me what the Bible says. And he doesn't go there. He could have. He uses this as a chance to reveal I and the Father are one. Shove that up your pipe and smoke it. Like it is just that offensive. What he is saying is that offensive. And why we're going to hear that the Pharisees didn't come away from this and say, let's find a way to refute his argument. The Pharisees walk away this to say, how do we kill him? That's what's about to happen. Read with me. Wow, why am I in Second Chronicles? <laughs> I should have the hardback and then I would know where I am. Okay. Read with me. We're going to do verses 16 through 24. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath... He called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man then you will truly be astonished. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. Can we agree that's a huge claim? Mm -hmm. I give out life, I dole it out, like Grandpa gives out candy. I give out life. I have. This is a godlike authority he's claiming. For 22, in addition, the Father judges no one, 
Is that news to anybody here? Did you guys know that? <coughs> There's this very popular, cute view of the Bible floating out there in academia that the Old Testament God is angry and Jesus is basically a hippie that just loves everybody and he never gets upset. This can only keep floating in our heads if we refuse to pick up the Bible for ourselves and read it. You can easily find the patience and mercy of Yahweh all throughout the Old Testament. And you can find Jesus ticked off. (laughs) He cleared the temple twice, and at the back of the book, he comes back with a sword. Okay? That silly nonsense that you might have heard in university, that's all well and good. You will not find it in this book here. Okay? He just said the Father judges no one. Is that a little shocking? Because I thought this was the angry God who burnt off the top of Sinai. Why is Jesus saying the Father judges no one? Well, I'm glad you asked. He's about to answer that. (laughs) Instead... So, like, you're not off the hook. There's still judgment. It's just not the Father doing it. He has given the Son absolute authority to judge. What? He just says, not only am I working seven days a week, God is my Father who's working seven days a week, and I will judge the entire creation because the Father gave that to me to do. What? The more we allow Christ to speak for himself from the Scriptures, the more we will understand why the religious elite rose up to kill him. We have to let him speak for himself. So that, why would God give the son that authority? So that everyone will honor the son, just as they honor the father. Um, Don't have time for it today, but little introductory Trinitarian theology. The father, son, and spirit love each other perfectly. Honor each other perfectly. Trust each other implicitly. And ultimately only have one will. Because even the incarnate second person of the Trinity about to go to his cross says, I don't want to go through this. If there's another way, I submit to it. But not my will be done. Your will, Father. So when he says the Father is honoring me, we shouldn't be shocked. Except the religious elite are shocked. Why? They refuse to believe that Jesus Christ is equal with God. And that's fair. If you do not believe he's equal with God you're going to be either really ticked because you're a devout Jew from the first century or like 21st century modern, you know, whatever. We would say, yeah, Jesus got a little big for his britches because he belongs right there up to MLK, next to MLK, next to Gandhi, along with the nice teachers. That's where he belongs. So if he actually claimed to be God, ah, that's a little David Koresh for me. I don't know if I can go there. That's a little bit much, don't you think? So we have to wrestle with this. What is he saying about himself? The father is honoring the son by giving him the right to judge. Huh, interesting. Anyone who does not honor the son is certainly not honoring the father who sent him. Is that loaded? He's encircled by a bunch of guys who want to kill him. If you will not honor me as God, it's not possible to honor the Father. The one you say you're sons of Abraham. You say that you follow Moses. You say that you worship Yahweh. But if Yahweh sends a part of himself and puts on flesh to die to pay the price for your sins, and you reject what Yahweh has given you, you've rejected Yahweh. He's, that's what he's telling the people around. Like, 
you think I'm some outside heretic to Judaism, but I am the completion of it. That's what he's trying to, to tell the people around him. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Holy Spirit, would you please make your word to fall on soft hearts that are receptive this morning. We ask for this blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You note takers, your first blank. You should have this one by now. God is always working. God is always working. It is critical in a very, you know, probably most of us grew up in democratic culture. If you were born and raised somewhere else, you've got maybe different cultural norms. If you grew up in the West, if you grew up in France, Sweden, the UK, Canada, US, Australia, there's a lot of individualism floating around. And there's a lot of busyness. There's a lot of worshiping productivity. Men in particular are really susceptible to think that whatever the bottom line is, the amount that I earned, that is somehow reflective of my worth as a person. That's nonsense. We also, from democracy and from thinking everything has to be equal, well, let's just be honest. Okay, here in the, let's just keep it to the United States. Have we ever elected a senator, governor, representative, or president who is morally perfect? Have we ever done that? No. Right? Chuckle, insert chuckle here. Okay, so we care a lot in democracies about our elected leaders being beholden to the same laws that affect and govern the rest of the people. That's a regular part of the discourse. Do you think you're above the law? You know, We care about that. So this jacks up our ability to interact with a sovereign, morally perfect deity. We think we have to vote for Jesus for him to be on that white horse. <laughs> Silly Republican. <laughs> Silly Democrat. White horses? Now oh, that's a king. Kings don't need you to vote for them. In fact, you could try to hold a vote. It won't work. For or against. It won't work. So we struggle big time. When God says something to humanity and he himself is not bound by it, we immediately think God is being hypocritical. The Western world has thrown out for at least 50 years now, well, what about the slaughter of the Amalekites? God killed, that's genocide. God killed a bunch of people. Interesting. Where in the Bible did you see the Ten Commandments were for God? It looks to me like they're for people. If God is love, it's not just he has love, he is love. If he created us, if he loves us more than we love ourselves, he is the most trustworthy one to close my eyes at the end of my life. I'm not okay with God killing because I don't trust him. If I do trust him, I'm okay with when he decides that the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's nothing more I can do. Or when somebody runs a red light and I'm gone. This always and always goes back to, do I tr find God trustworthy? Always. Because right now in our story, God is saying, I get to work seven days a week. I don't get tired. And you need me to not get tired. Yeah. One of the Wednesday night disciple groups, we looked at a text this last Wednesday in Colossians 1. Christ holds all creation together actively. Mm -hmm. Atom particles are revolving around each other because Jesus says so. Yeah. Amen. 
He created everything in Him. The Father created all things through Him and for Him. What? And He allows it to be held together by His own will. Okay? You need Jesus Christ to work on Sundays. You need the earth to still spin on its axis at the appropriate angle. You need it to go around the sun. You need the sun to give its light. You need oxygen molecules to not fall apart so we don't all suffocate. And you need His mercy every day. Not just the other six days. Do you not sin on Sunday? Anybody here takes Sunday off? I'm not going to sin. Do you need His mercy on Sundays too? Amen. Yeah, we need yeah. the love of God and the mercy of God seven days a week because we're, we're busted. We're busted. Are we okay with God telling humanity, these are the rules for your flourishing, for your blessing, and what is going to benefit you? Are we comfortable with that? If you are not sure yet what you think of Jesus, I don't expect the answer to be yes. But I'm letting you know what you're signing up for if you decide to be a Christian. Deciding to be a Christian is not going down a bullet-pointed list of things I agree with. It is deciding in your bones when you're in a room by yourself and you take a deep breath going, Do I believe that Jesus Christ is the center of the cosmos who has loved me perfectly and his cross, I have trusted it to wash away my sins, and it's going to be okay. He's in charge. In my heart of hearts, do I trust him? And if you think the Christian next to you is trusting God perfectly, you got another thing coming. <laughs> we will not trust Him perfectly until we're in heaven. We are going to screw this up over and over and over, even though Jesus has never once failed anybody. We have blamed Him for stuff, haven't we? We've said, God, you're holding out on me. God, I asked you for this. And I, well, wasn't that the deal? I go to church and I give money and then you, you answer my prayers. That works if you're Aladdin and you're dealing with Robin Williams. <laughs> Sorry, Will Smith. It's never going to be the same. If God's a genie, that's fine. But what if God is God? Amen. Now it's different. Now it's different. Second blank for you note takers. This is more of a textual note, but it's critical for our journey through John. John the Apostle is not telling the story of Jesus' life. He is telling the story of Jesus' cross. Mm. If, you're, if you're like me, if you studied history, you're actually two steps back from everybody else. The Western, the Greco-Roman view of history is that you're supposed to operate chronologically, you're supposed to give all the details, and you leave the analysis to future generations. So I was told flat out when I was at Sac State, 20 years old, that if it's not at least 50 years behind us, it's not history yet, it is still politics. If people still have a visceral emotion about it, it's politics. When they can be cool and, and look at it objectively, now it's history. Interesting, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not trying to be unpartisan and unbiased. Yeah. They all say, clear as day in them. I've written this that you, Theophilus, Acts 1-1 might believe. I told you all that Jesus started to do, the book of Luke, and now I'm going to tell you what he's going to continue to do by the power of Holy, his Holy Spirit through the church, the book of Acts. These guys never even pretended to not be biased. How many of you guys find a partisan book more believable if the author starts off and says, I'm biased? Mm -hmm. That makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? If you just say, I am biased, 
filter everything through that lens. We've got these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the authors absolutely believe Jesus Christ was the Messiah promised to the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. They absolutely believed he physically died, and that death was a ransom for all sinners that would put their faith in him. They absolutely believed that he raised himself from death. Like a boss, who does that? Has Buddha done that? Did Muhammad do that? Did Joseph Smith do that? Did Elvis do that? We're not sure yet. Yeah, there are theories. There are theories. Elvis and Bigfoot hanging out in Vegas. These books are unapologetically trying to present Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, period. So they do not... Is anybody, if you're a Christian and you read the Bible, ever wonder where Jesus' teenage years went? Where was high school? Did he let her in water polo because he could walk on the water? Like, what happened in high school? They skipped that. Why? John devotes... Some of you already know this. John devotes the vast majority of his time and his words to the last week of Jesus' life. That means this man has an agenda as he writes it. Why am I majoring on this? I'm glad you asked. Again, the 21st century ethos around Jesus is that he's a good teacher with some nice things to say. That's not good enough to wash away your sins, though. And that's not what the Bible says about him. Him being a nice guy doesn't get you into a right relationship with God. But if he was the God man and he died on the cross to wash away your sin, that reconciles you to God. This matters. You don't have to believe it, but you just need to understand the difference. If if he's just like Gandhi, that's all well and good, and we can quote him and we can retweet him. He had some nice stuff to say. But that's not God putting on flesh and dying for you. Two different ballgames. So, I am right now because I had a video clip. You see the screen that's not here? Okay. Because I have watched this film way too many times, I am going to quote a short scene from a movie. Some of you will have seen it many times. Others of you desperately need Jesus. (laughs) And from this quote in the middle of a movie, I want you to tell me what the central plot of the movie is. Okay? You ready? I am going to walk up to the six-fingered man. And I will say to him, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. What's the movie about? What's the central theme of the movie? No, no, no. I only gave you that. If that's all you have to work off of, what's the central plot? Revenge. Thank you. I'll buy you ice cream later. Jeez. <laughs> what, what Inigo Montoya plans to say to the six-fingered man is entirely about revenge. Now, those of you who have seen The Princess Bride, tell me what the central theme of the movie is. True love. True love. True love, revenge. Are those the same? So can you take one little piece of the whole and make a mistake accordingly? Yeah. Augustine said that the gospel is like a stained glass window 
where all of us have our face pressed against and we can see a little bit of orange and a little bit of green. But only when we enter eternity and we're with God and we are made morally perfect do we get to step back and see all of what God was doing. The Gospels are trying to tell us all of what God is doing. How he's redeeming lost humanity back to himself. If we get in too close and look at just one little detail and rip it out of context, we're going to have problems. So if you're a guest today and you're not sure what you think of Jesus yet, a practical application question for you. Have you been lied to about what the central message of Christianity is? You've got to decide that for yourself. Have you been lied to? Is it at least possible that you've been lied to? For the Christian, here's a question for you. Have you allowed yourself to be distracted away from the central message of Christianity? Safe place? Raise your hand if you're a Christian who's been distracted away from what the gospel is all about. We call this Tuesday. It happens every day. (laughs) Every single day, I can live my life for all that glitters and forget that a blood-soaked cross is the center form of my existence. There's so much going on in the industrialized world that's shiny or that might make me happy or someone's telling me will make me happy. It's hard to think of the cross when you've got a screaming kid. It's hard to think of the cross when you've got drama at work and two big hairy messes you've got to solve when you get into the office. And yet it's the center point of human history. Look at verse, uh, let's see, 18. John says this, In light of my father is always working, so I am, so am I. The Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. This is the beginning. We're only in chapter 5 of a, what, 21, 24? How long is this book? It's going to be the year of the mouse again by the time we finish this sucker. I, I don't, 24? Somebody tell me. 24? 21. 21? We are only five chapters into a 21 chapter book and John's already preparing us for Jesus' death. This is important. He's, he's trying to let you know, you know where this is going, right? That's the, to the reader. You know where this is going, right? You know where this is going, right? It's going to a cross. That's the center point. When we get distracted away from it, can we just agree we do stupid stuff that is not befitting of our Savior? When we get distracted away, do we say stupid things like, hey, the leader of our church can forgive sins. And the leader of our church just sent us to Jerusalem with swords to slaughter everyone in our way. Can we agree that's stupid and not biblical and evil? Can we agree it's an oxymoron to put a cross on your shield as you dress up in armor to go kill people? Can we agree that's an oxymoron? We do stupid stuff when we lose sight of the cross for what it is. If the God-man humbly served us, we must be, if we say we are Christ followers, servants of everyone else around us. We are servants Does the Bible say that we are warriors? Yes. It says this is our sword, and it says our enemy is not flesh and blood, but every dark and evil thing in our world. That's what we fight against. Mm -hmm. We fight sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. We fight the dehumanization of somebody because of the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. We fight the dehumanization of somebody because they live under a bridge. We fight the dehumanization of somebody because of their gender. We fight wars that don't need to happen. Mm -hmm. We fight all kinds of dark things that we don't think 
are indicative of the kingdom of God. And we fight that with what? The proclaimed love of God toward rebels. You don't, def- you don't have to blow up Saddam Hussein to defeat him. If you can get somebody to tell him of the love of God, you might have a Saul of Tarsus moment. You guys know Saul of Tarsus was a terrorist, right? He was a religious terrorist. Just saying, if we blow him up, maybe that's the second best option. But if somebody could tell them about the love of God, that would be the best option. You want to turn the world upside down? Pray for the Ayatollah to be visited by Jesus Christ tonight as he sleeps. That'll turn the world upside down. We, we, we resort to bombs because we literally think it's the best tool in our arsenal. We don't read this enough to know that bombs are not. That was for free. That wasn't even in the notes. Next, for you note takers, Jesus was in many ways an emissary sent from God the Father. Emissary. E-M-I-S-S-A-R-Y. Emissary. Greg can spell. <laughs> no, that's the only one. That's it. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. He says, I come doing only what I see my father doing. I'm not adding anything to the law, is what he's saying to the religious types. I'm not adding to the law. I'm not breaking it. I, I'm fully within the realms of everything that Yahweh has said. So, emissary, I am not the one. But I fully and always, my words are indicative and fully represent legally binding, right? So if President Trump sends you to North Korea as an emissary, you have the full legal authority of the President of the United States to make a deal. That's pretty heavy, huh? Especially if you refuse to believe that Jesus who's standing in front of you comes from God. You're going to be really offended at this, right? He's saying... I'm only doing the stuff that the Father does. Whatever I see him doing, whatever he reveals to me, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm working on. And, oh, by the way, you're going to see bigger things than this. You think this guy getting healed and he can walk now, you think that's big? Wait and see. And what does he point to? Our next point. Jesus' relationship with God the Father allows for greater miracles than the lame being healed. Namely, two things. This is what he says in the text. Forgiveness and judgment. Those are your blanks. Forgiveness and judgment. When he says life is given to me, well, what, is, what does life look like? How does he dole out life? He tells us through the rest of the Gospels by forgiving sins. Forgiving sins is how he gives life, right? You think it's a big deal because this guy used to not be able to walk and now he can. Just you wait until I forgive sins and I judge everyone who doesn't want the forgiveness. Wait until I sort out the sheep and the goats. I go to rebels with mercy. You can have that if you want. I told you in advance that there's justice coming later that you do not want. Please accept my offer of mercy. But judgment is coming if you don't accept it. Like, wait until I do that before you're really amazed. And he does this in two comings. 2,000 years ago, he came to offer mercy and patience and love. One day he's going to come and he said, time's up. Now is the justice that I've been telling you for thousands of years was coming. And I didn't want you to take justice. I didn't want you to take that. But you did. And so here we are. Anybody raising their kid, raising their niece or nephew, their grandkid, and you came to the moment of discipline. The one that you had warned about 300 times. Granddaughter, son, nephew, here we are. I did not want this. I don't think you wanted this. And yet, here we are. That's what 
justice is going to look like one day. Where Christ's rage at sinners is there, but so is his broken heart. Why would you not accept the forgiveness that I offered you? Last, there's no blank here. It's verse 24. If you trust the God of the Bible, you've already been made spiritually alive. He says it's already happened. They've already moved from death to life. Is that good news? Yeah. Does that give the Christian confidence when we screw up and sin over and over again? Yes. That he's not going to let go of us. He's going to fight for holiness in our lives. He's going to change us and shape us and mold us. Is that good news? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You have an enemy, if you're a Christian, who loves to whisper in your ear, you're not really a Christian. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. And yet, the more we stare at the words of Jesus, we go, hmm, I think he's a little stronger than my sin. Yep. <laughs> Just a little bit. I think he's stronger than my... Huh. Interesting. All right. Did you survive without the PowerPoint? Yeah. <laughs> Two more blanks. On the back? You guys just can't be satisfied, can you? More blanks. Christians, are you fighting your own sin with the intensity of one who knows they're going to win? Are you fighting your own sin? And I I put the own sin on here uh, on purpose. Ned Flanders can point out the sins of others. Pharisees can point out the sins of others. Not your calling. Can you fight your own sin? With the deep conviction that Jesus will win in your heart. He will win in your mind. Because he has said in advance, Father, I have not lost one that you have handed to me. He who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it. It's going to happen. I tell that to the Christians because it's biblical. And I tell that to the Christians that you will not despair when you sin. You want to know if this is the child? Is this baby, is this that... That's this man's son? Is this baby this man's son? Well, how do you know? How do you know sonship? When I screw up, do I run from daddy or do I run to daddy? When I screw up, do I run from him or do I run to him? We've seen it a thousand times. I'm the one angry at you. I may have just whipped your hide and yet you still run to me. Because there's attachment here. You know I'm the safe place. I am a source of life and blessing for you. Christian, Are you ready and willing and able to fight your own sin with the confidence that Jesus is going to win every battle sooner or later in your life? Creating holiness that you can be a blessing to Citrus Heights and be a blessing to the ends of the earth. Do you believe he's winning? When you don't believe he's winning, will you preach to yourself? When the brother or sister next to you doesn't think God's winning, will you remind them that Jesus doesn't lose fights? Amen. He can give up his life on a cross. And, to, and just when you think you got him beat, oh, he's, he's back. And he's serving breakfast. Wait a minute. Would you remind your brothers and sisters that Jesus doesn't lose fights? I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to give one last instruction before we gorge on obscene amounts of sugar. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. Help us to cherish it and respond to it. God, I pray for those of us that aren't sure yet what we think of you and your church and the Bible, that you would meet us where we are. 
show your beauty to us. God, make this a faith family that is really good and gracious toward others who don't think the same way that we think and don't believe the same things we believe. Make us loving and gracious, God, the way you've been loving and gracious with us. In the powerful name of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.